This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Amen. Amen. Um, let's do another throwback song, all right? 1970s. This is a 1972. Do you have that queued up? All right, start it. See if you can, you'll know. Some of you just start standing and start grabbing, holding on to each other. Come on, can we just stand? Turn the music up. Turn the music up. Come on. A little bit louder. We got to loosen up here this morning. You can put your arms around someone, just rock like that. Sing it. In our lives, we all have pain. We all have sorrow. You can be louder than that, that's okay. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me. We are not strong. And I'll be Take your seat. Thank you for being a young, life-filled crowd. Amen? Uh, amen. That's just a little throwback. The song reminds me of Bill Withers in 1972. Wrote that, played that, became uh, a hit song. And I began to think about that in light of the message. There is a spiritual point to play in that, not just having fun. And uh, we're in our spiritual apathy series, the fifth week, and I've titled this, subtitle it, Follow Me, Follow Me. My text is 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. You can pull that up if you want um, in your um, tablets. Whoop, okay. Paul tells the church in Corinth, he says, follow, somebody shall follow. My example, as I follow the example of Christ. There's that, we're going to talk about that leading, why we need each other. Because last week we spoke about isolation. So quickly, just to recap, we have Jesus' message. We started this series with, in Revelation, Lord is speaking, he said in Revelation 2.4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. That's how it's written in the Greek. And so the Lord is complimenting the church, and he says, I got this thing against you now. You lost your first love. Where did you lose it? What happened? And then in Revelation 2, 6, as he goes on, he said, yes, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And I, as I shared before, that word hate in the Greek actually means to hate. And you think, how could Jesus? He wouldn't hate anybody. He hated the work of the Nicolaitans. And that was a doctrine we talked about of compromise. Compromise in our faith. You know what I mean by that? Uh, where it was okay to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You didn't really have to, you know, different, be so strict about maybe separating from the world in order to be a Christian. And sometimes you meet people like that. Oh, come on. I mean, what are you kind of funny, Daddy? We're not talking about being super religious, you know, all of that. We're, we're talking about our faith. Amen? Our faith. 
And so last week we touched on about how isolation can uh, make us vulnerable to sin and destruction. When we have that lone range attitude where I don't need anybody, I can kind of do my own thing. Or I, I love this one here. This is kind of popular in this community. I don't attend any church. I just attend the global church. Yeah, right. So when you're in the hospital, what global part of the church comes to see you? Can I get an amen? Amen. You know, the global church, you know, or this one. I heard this before. I'm part of the church of Jesus, but you're not plugged into a local church. Jesus said, I will build my church and he assigns, I believe, people to churches. So every empty seat you see here, I believe God has assigned somebody to it. And when we build and we have more seats, God has assigned more people to that. Amen. I believe that. I just declare that in Jesus' name. But, you know, we may be living life oblivious to the threat, but the threat is there. It's real in this isolation. Um, we touched on this last week, 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to be afraid as a Christian. Amen. But you need to be sober-minded. How many of you know what not unsober-minded means? Okay, all right? Sober-minded means you're awake. Someone that's drunk don't know what's going on. Their faculties are not working. Come on now, all right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you think, you know, you're grabbing the white porcelain bowl. You know, you, 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 you're not sober-minded. You can't be watchful. Amen? God wants us watchful. Watchful. Why? Because he's, he's looking. He's looking for someone to devour. And so God never intended for us to grow alone in isolation. He created us, we said this last week, with the need, desire, and capacity for authentic, intimate, personal relationships. Why? Because that's his nature. That's the nature of God. And that's the space, we said, in which we grow best. We grow best in that space. Uh, we kind of ended with this. The local church community is the space in which we grow best, and it is by God's design. And we said this, uh, that other people cannot fight your spiritual battles. Amen? Husbands, you can't, I mean, you can, you can go on behalf of and stand together in a spirit of unity for husband and wife, right? Which we should be doing, amen, couples? And family, we'll be praying for each other, praying for your children, praying for your spouse, pray, all of those important spiritual disciplines. And, you know, other people can't do your own growing for you. Uh, they can't play this, uh, you know, have the term, you know, the junior Holy Spirit in your life. Some people look for that. There are prophets that are out, this crazy, just loopy, and it's like, all right, we have a 365-day prophecy. It's a dollar, and you pay for it. 365 bucks a year, you get a word in an email box. Give me a living break. All right? <laughs> Come on. You know, they, they, a lot of people that just look, tell me, tell me how I should live. God wants us strong. He wants us mature and not babies on the formula. Amen? Or just the breast milk. Amen? He wants us off of that. I mean, it would be really embarrassing in a first grade class seeing an 18-year-old kid with his knees up to here sitting in it, right? When you see all these little kids, see, when we have back children's area, we have chairs that are age appropriate, amen? The chairs you're sitting in are adulting chairs, amen? That means we should be adults. I don't know why I'm just on that, but just someone say amen, I'll move on, amen. So, uh, so we ended it that... 
you know, but that, you know, other people can't fight your spiritual battles. But here's what I want to talk about briefly here today. I just get a couple of points. Godly people can greatly help support our spiritual formation because that's God's design. Did you get that? When you make a decision to live for God, you, even with your weaknesses and, and shortcomings and all that, your life becomes an example to others and people are watching you. I said, they're watching you. You think, well, nobody's watching me. You know, I don't have really anybody in my life. Are you isolated? Amen, Pastor Mike. Amen. So what are some ways that people can help us along our spiritual journey? And these are examples that we should emulate. Excuse me. This is something we too, as 1 Corinthians 11 says, Paul says, follow my example. I wouldn't be so bold <laughs> to write that, right? If I would say, hey, hey church of the harvest, follow my example. But you know what? God wants us to be bold. And so in the areas that you see that are right and the, in the multitude of areas that I'm wrong, follow the example that's right. Amen? <laughs> follow that example. But you should be able to say that too to others and, and, and be confident in that. Follow that example as I follow the example of Christ. Amen? All right, very quickly. Follow me. How can uh, we do this? Number one, you can be inspired by example. Be inspired by example. You see someone else act like Jesus when they're faced with trouble. Doesn't that speak to you? A difficult situation, a health issue, or whatever that is. Um, you see them apply some New Testament truth in their life. You witness them overcome some character or vices in their life. I, I love hearing testimonies or stories of people come up and say, hey, pastor, I've given up smoking cigarettes. I just gave him up. I said, how? It was a long battle. It was back and forth, but, but God delivered me. And I've been free from cigarettes for, you know, and they know the day. They know the time. They know the day that they quit and that God helped them. That inspires me. Does it inspire you? When people say, you know what, Pastor? I'm done. The whole drinking thing. You know what? I couldn't handle it, and it was just too much. It was destructive for myself and my family. And that blesses me to know. It encourages me that other people are standing up, following the example of Christ. Can you say amen? Um, when you see people unselfishly minister to those in need, when they are hurting. You know, Joseph is a... a, a a beautiful example while he was in prison. You know, he, he was, you know, we know the story. He was sold by his brothers into slavery, which that would make you angry every single day of your life. You know what I mean? You'd have probably one of those, without Christ, you'd have one of those lists of the names of each of them and when you're going to take them out, you know, when you get out of prison. <clears throat> I know none of you ever thought like that, but, <clears throat> and, and, and so he's now in, he's in Potiphar's house. He's serving, he's falsely accused so he's doing the right thing, and now he's falsely accused, and he could have been the man more than any of us to go, why God? Oh, come on now. Why, God, is this happening to me? Why? I'm doing everything right. Why is this happening? Come on, can I get an amen here? And, and what happens is, is that he gets sent to prison, and we know it's a time frame that it was... It was like a, over a decade, but his prison was like 14 years by the time he was in, in prison and out of prison. And we know the story about the baker and the butler. They get sent there. And the king just didn't know who was the one that was guilty. He's in prison. Now he's in the prison 
and the prison guard gave him charge over the whole prison. You know what? You may feel like you're in prison, but God's still, his anointing is still on your life. You know what? And that's going to flourish. It's going to thrive right where you're at. Wherever you're at, wherever you're doing, you think you're doing something that seems to be below your, you know, this is demeanor, demeaning to you. You know what? You're still anointed. God has blessed you, and that's going to that's going to come to fruition. Well, he's in he's in prison, and he gives. He, I, I just think this is incredible that in all of his pain and all of his suffering for doing the right thing, nobody else around knew it, but only him and God. That he still ministers out of his wound and his need in prison to the butler and baker. He still he still prays for them. Wow. With us, what happens is. I'm hurt. I'm mad. I need someone to reach out to me. And if someone doesn't reach out, that's it. I'm storming right out. Amen. You're awfully quiet this morning. <laughs> Are you listening? Amen. And so he, he still ministered. He loved. And he, but he also said, please tell, tell the king, you know, I'm down here and I'm rotten. And I, but God knew his number. So um, you know, when I think about being wronged by others, I think of the testimony of Corey Ten Boone. How many have heard of her? I've showed it not too long ago, uh, last fall, an example, how she was preaching in Germany and, and, and she spoke on forgiveness. And one of the prison guards, she remember, walks down, who had been saved, said, thank you for that message, didn't know who she was. Uh, and, and said, I just want to thank you. Could you give me a hug? Just tell me you forgive me. And Wow, she said like shock went through her body at this time as he reached his hand out. And this was the one that her family was killed by this guy. And what she did was she went and grabbed his hand and hugged him and something broke off of her life. And she writes about it in her book. So that's inspiring to me. Because some of you think you're faced with situations, I can't forgive them. That woman forgives people that killed her family. Hmm. Wow. <clears throat> inspire, inspire. You know, I remember we were doing a crusade in uh, Jaffnia, just, just uh, uh, north near Vanya in Sri Lanka uh, back in 2014. It was, they had a civil war for 30 years and the war ended in 2009. So we had the opportunity to go and, and, and the whole, the government shut down everything, no visitors up there. Well, we were able to go up there, and we held a pastor's meeting, and I shared this before. I thought with uh, Heron, who's, who'll be here in April, uh, the missionaries there, Heron and Chande, said basically, uh, you know, you're not, you're, you know, you're not going to be able to do much up there, whatever, and he told me, he said, well, excuse me, I was thinking that we'd not be able to do much up there, maybe get a couple pastors to this conference. We had over 100 pastors with their wives show up at this conference. I just felt, wow, this is, God is doing something great. Well, they came from everywhere up in that region, and I can't, I'll never forget this one pastor. He came in his leg, he had, was amputated, and he's sitting, straddling on the back of a moped, all right, a bicycle, and they're bringing him there, and he just, I mean, his, oh, his clothes, he just reeked, I mean, and then he came up, to me, and, and we were talking, and we fed them all, and we took care of them, and we blessed them that day. And <clears throat> but I just remember him saying, "Pastor, please pray for me." I'm thinking, okay, this got to be a major, serious deal with this guy's facing with here. He's good. One lady goes, like, "I think he had two or three churches. It was in the jungle, and uh, he had a couple churches." And he said, "I need a front door." I went, "A what?" I said, "I need a front door." He said, "Because the elephants come around the house." 
We don't have this problem here in Minnesota. The elephants come and they come to the front door and they kick in dust. He goes, I want to have the door closed so we can feel safe at night. That was his prayer request. I went, my God, brother, I want to build you a whole new house. <laughs> you know, just simple. But his life inspired me when I just thought he had nothing. He was still giving to his church. That convicts me. That speaks to me. Yes, it's Jesus we know that we follow, not people. Amen? Amen, we know that. But other people can rub off on us. That's why Paul said to follow me, follow me as I follow, as I imitate Christ. You know, hanging out with people that have a passion for the Lord, that love God, that have a made-up mind. I said to have a made-up mind. Young people, listen to me. God is calling you to have a made-up mind. You need to be in or out. This whole lukewarm thing, oh, I don't know, you know, maybe, I don't want, if I start to, if I start to shine a little bit and I start a little bit, having my faith active, I can be persecuted at work. Too bad. That just comes with it. Amen? That's just part of being a Christian. We've kind of lost some of that, you know, the whole, everyone, let's have everyone love us and everyone like us. If you're going to stand for truth, somebody is not going to like you. We just have to just deal with that. And God will help you with that. But, he's, but when we hang out with other people, their lives can greatly impact your own ability. And let me just interject. If you're hanging out with people, watch this now, that are pulling you down, dragging you to the bars, dragging you to places that are not wholesome, you're not going to be able to be a true follower of Christ wholeheartedly. You won't. You just, what, what are you trying to say? I've, I've known them since he was a kid. Well, that, since you've known him as a kid, the way he is now is dragging your soul down. You have to make a decision. Heaven or hell? Some of you don't like that. That's okay. That's the truth. Amen. Amen. It's the truth. Preach, Pastor Mike. I believe I will. Amen. This is the truth. That's why Paul said, follow me as I follow after Christ. You know, when I think of people that have greatly impacted my own life, numerous people um, <clears throat> that gave me courage, courage in situations Many of you know uh, there's a missionary, Peter Mel. He's since been gone to be with the Lord, and he was like the older brother I never had. He was about seven years older than me, and uh, he traveled to, he, he had a business, very successful business, uh, asbestos removal in, in Fargo, and he g gave the whole thing up. He just gave the whole thing away and went to be a missionary to Russia and Ukraine. Wow. The whole thing, true story, he wrote a book. I'm actually in his book, secretly, somewhere. <laughs> but he, 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 when I observed him, I took 13 trips in 12 years to, to Russia and Ukraine. I, I was on 13 trips in 12 years with him. And, uh, and some of you here, in 2007 was our last trip. We were a part of that. It was a, a men's missions trip. But when I observed Pete, there would, there would be times and situations where we would be stopped by the KGB or Stickman or someone, and they usually want to pay off or something like that. And I could just remember numerous times just thinking, how is this guy going to handle this situation? And one time we were in an intersection, and they were all fully loaded, automatic weapons, kind of staring us down. You Americans, what are you doing here? And, and Pete just gets out of the car, and he, he just, we, he, we, never, we didn't have much food at that time. But he had sunflower seeds, so he would always be eating sunflower seeds. I'll never forget this. And he would get out of the car, just walk right up to all these guys with the guns, and went, "Man, this guy's bold." <laughs> you know, I don't know. They just cap him; he'd be gone. But he just didn't care. It's like, hey, we need to get through. You need whatever. And he had favor. He wasn't afraid. That spoke to me. 
As I'm pretty daring, I'll do certain things and bold. Been in Russian prisons and Ukrainian prisons, and, and, and you know, but but boy, there was something about his life and his passion and his zeal and his vision for the nation. He would talk, and we're going to do this. We have mobile teams that are coming out. We have a crusade. And went, how did you get all this? I mean, he was just very passionate, and I, I just kind of absorbed a lot of that greatly. There were times we would bring cash over and we put them in money belts and uh, to bless the churches there and help. And you had a certain limit from 10,000 and under you could bring to the country. And Well, <clears throat> one time we were in, uh, this was before all the hypersecurity. This is in the 90s, but we used to get TWA, some of those airlines, you know, we used to get boxes that are probably the size of this whole pulpit here full of stuff to give to the Russian Ukrainian people. And when you go through, you know, customs, you don't want much stuff on you. Isn't that right? You don't want much stuff on you. And, and so I remember going through customs with him, and he was like, hey, Mike, take those boxes. I went, those boxes? It was 14 boxes this size, pushing a cart. And it's like I looked like a, a bright neon sign. Search me. <laughs> you know? And I'm pushing I'm like, and he goes, don't look at anybody. Don't look to the left or the right. Just pretend that nothing's happening. You know? That's like, hey, it's no big deal. I just got 14 boxes, and God only knows what's in them. <laughs> and we would just walk right through many times. Sometimes I'd stop you, and they'd try to search you. Pull it over. What's this for? We'd say, I don't know. It's for God. <laughs> we'd put, go right through. And that's what I'd say. I remember one time we were on our way to Odessa on a train, and I can remember um, missions is exciting. You all need to go on a mission trip someday, man. Missions is exciting. <clears throat> and I remember this one time we, we had some money, Pete and I, and it was quite a bit of it, and our money belt, and we were taking it to the church in uh, Ishmael from Odessa. And so we're on this train, and when we get on there, two of these guys come up, and they were street thugs, KGB guys, and they said, we want money from you. All these boxes, all this stuff, you must pay. And we said, no, we're not paying you anything, one of the interpreters said. And they said, they we're going to cut your throats while you're on the train at night. And so the interpreter is negotiating with them. And so he comes up to Pete and I, and Pete goes, what does he want? He goes, well, he wants 60 bucks. And uh, I got him down to 40. Pete goes, I got $10,000 in my crotch. Give him the 60 bucks. <laughs> but this is what Pete said. This is what he goes. He goes, if, you, if we pay you the 60 bucks, we want to know that you're going to protect us, that nobody's going to hit us up till we get to Ismail. Okay, they were our security guards. They walked the train. Nobody said we paid them the money. He impacted my life for good. Your life can impact others. Can you say amen? Uh, I'm going to kind of conclude with this. In 1985 and 86, I was stationed in Okinawa, Japan in the Marine Corps. Sent, sent from uh, Camp, uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And while I was in Okinawa, sent from Camp Lejeune, uh, God was moving. I started having Bible studies at the USO. I was starting to meet some other believers and, and other Marines. And, and we just were just ministering to a number of people. And some of the officers that were at a church off base there would borrow us their cars. I've shared this before. And if you know anything about military, officers have a certain type of sticker. So when you come in and you're enlisted, they go, go ahead. But if you're an officer, they salute you. Well, I was enlisted. And I would have all these car, this car full, borrowed by this lieutenant of all these Marines. And we'd drive and stop. 
David salute me going to church. And I was just so pumped up about that. I thought that was so cool. And, and, and so things were happening. Then all of a sudden, we got orders to go to the Philippines. Marcos, president, he's, you know, there's turmoil down there. We're going to send you down as a peacekeeping force. Some guys are freaking out. They're crying. I mean, it was crazy. Well, we're in the Marines here. I mean, this is, you know, that's why we joined, you know. I mean, we're, you know, what, what do you think we do? Baking cakes all day? Uh, get a hold of it. Anyhow, so, but what happened is, is we get down there, and I was really discouraged because I felt, watch this now, I felt the devil was just working. Everything that I tried to accomplish there in, in Okinawa was just blew up. And now it's all scattered. And, and, and now I'm going down to the Philippines. I'm staying in Quonset huts there in Subic Bay. And, and it's just, I'm frustrated. I'm just like, where, God, what's going on? But see, God will do that. He'll allow that in your life because he, he wants to take you to something greater if you keep looking up to him. Amen? He wants to take you to something greater. Well, after a time of disappointment, uh, I started getting a lot of persecution down there, and it was just different than Okinawa. And I remember saying, you know what? I've had it. I'm just sick of this. I'm not going to bow down to any of this garbage you guys harassing me. I'm going to start a God squad. I know it's kind of dated, 1986, but I started a God squad. And this Delta's God squad, I was in Delta 212. This is the actual picture of the God squad. Um, Subic Bay, there I am right there. Now, I want you to see this guy right here. His name's Jeffrey Albertson. Uh, and the page next to it, that kid uh, that's kind of a little quirky right there, I think his name was Charles Champagne, and he was a Harley guy. He got saved. Jeff got saved, and that axe we actually used to go, I don't know why he brought the axe, but went to go fundraise for the, the Marines, and he walked in with an axe. And we raised $300 for a refrigerator for a Filipino pastor in one day. So for whatever reason, but, but after, you know, I, here I am in those faded jeans, true color, and this is going back in 1986, and all I was trying to do is just be obedient. I just trying to be a good light and a testimony. I wasn't trying to build anything for me. And so we started this God Squad and we had these shirts, which I still have my shirt. I'm so proud of it. Um, that's 36 years old. Delta's God Squad and it's an angel holding a Bible, cutting the head of a demon off. Well, what happened was some of these Marines were like, man, that's pretty rough stuff, you know, when they're, because the Filipinos are really good at design. And I said, I want to look like the demon scared with wings. I mean, so, so we would walk around with the shirt, the God Squad, the God Squad. Well, a lot of these guys got some diseases off of base and whatever, so they were restricted to base, and we started a Bible study on Wednesdays. And Bible study grew from these guys to about 8, 10, 12, 15 guys, because they had nowhere to go. They couldn't go. So you're going to go to the Bible study, and we preach the gospel to them. Well, let's fast forward. 33 years later, last summer, <clears throat> I was contacted by one of these guys. He came to Alexandria. He still comes. His name is Jeffrey Albertson. That's him 33 years later. And we have met probably six or eight times since last year. He'd say, hey, I'm coming through Fargo area, through Alexandria. Can we do lunch? We do lunch or we do an early dinner. And he still, he saw me at Dunn Brothers while I was waiting for him the first time. I haven't seen the guy in 33 years. He runs up, gives me a bear hug, lifts me up. I'm holding my coffee. I went, good to see you, Jeff. <laughs> 33 years later, but he's on fire for God. I mean, like, uh, he's, been on, he's been to India. He's been back to the Philippines. He's been uh, numerous nations in Mexico. And I said, what are you doing? He's preaching the gospel. I'm like, what? 
<laughs> and he would stop every time. Every time he's come, he would have a moment. And he goes, I don't think you recognize, though, Mike, how much your life has affected me. You, you know, and he would, this guy's a tough guy, okay? He, he would well up and his eyes would well up while we're sitting there. I went, oh my God, this is pretty serious. And he goes, your life was a testimony to me. It helped me through difficult times. And I'll never forget the day you said this or that. I'm like, I said that? I said, I don't remember. I said, but it impacted his life. Stay with me if you would, please. Friends, your life now is either greatly impacting your family, your friends, your church family, your workplace for good or for not so good. But the truth of the matter is, your life, either way, has an impact. It has an impact. Every head bowed, please. You're here this morning and you don't know the Lord. You're not right with God. Maybe some things that were spoken here bristled you. You're kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm a little agitated right now. That's okay. That's a good thing. That means God is dealing with you. He's dealing with you. He's drawing you in. I really feel that. I feel that God is drawing some people to him. And, he's, and, and, and some of the things may have seemed strong this morning, but it's for a purpose. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And he's drawing some of you here this morning to him, to him, to have a made-up mind. That's right. Where you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to choose. I'm either going to be in the world totally or I'm going to be following God. You have a choice to make. With every head bowed, you say, Pastor, I need to get right. I know I'm wrong. I don't need anyone to tell me I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. I need to get right with God. That's you. You're here this morning. I want to invite you to pray a prayer. You're not joining this church, but you would be joining the family of God. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. You make a choice. You choose to receive Christ. It's, it's a choice that God has given you. The Bible says, repent and believe the good news. The first step is repentant. It's recognizing you're a sinner. You've broken all of God's commandments. Someone once called it being a spiritual criminal. But God has come through Christ Jesus to save us. If we will welcome him in our life, if we will repent and receive him in our life, we will be born again. We will receive eternal life and we will walk with him throughout all eternity. That's you here this morning. Let's pray in unison. Just pray with your whole heart. Say to me, say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Take it. I believe you died on that cross 2,000 years ago for me. And I receive you in my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant that, God meant that. He meant that. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.